0: This is Biz Radio host, Joanna Patrice Haggerty. I am the founder of JPH Creative Biz and soon to launch Art Hero, a workforce development organization. My mission is to support and galvanize artists and creative entrepreneurs because art heals and connects. I believe that by activating creativity, we synthesize change. Come connect with me on Instagram at jph creative Biz. Do you know that 70% of women in the United States wear a size 14 or larger? Despite this, many top brands don't carry plus-size options, and if they do, they charge premium prices. At More to Love, we believe everybody deserves affordable and fashionable clothing. That is why we carry new and gently used plus-size clothing for a fraction of the original price. We are located at 606 New Leicester Highway behind Wynn's Diner beside the Sonnet. This is the Joanna Patrice Haggerty Show, where I invite the most innovative entrepreneurs, artists, and creative business owners to share their experiences, processes, practical tips, and inspirations. Today with me is Derek Johnson. Derek is a trombonist, composer, producer, and visual artist from Asheville. He has been a nationally touring musician since 2005 with Yo Mama's Big Fat Booty Band. Derek's musical journey began when he was four years old singing in the church choir at a small Southern Baptist church in Alabama. By the age of eleven, he picked up the trombone and began finding his true passion for music. In addition to trombone, he also started playing guitar at age thirteen. After high school, Derek decided to continue his music education by attending Mars Hill College to pursue a degree in trombone performance and music education. While at Mars Hill, he met Yo Mama's Big Fat Booty Band and began his touring career. Over the past 16 years, Derek has performed with artists such as George Clinton, Dirty Dozen Brass Band, Galactic, and George Porter Jr. He also has had the privilege of winning a Grammy with Secret Agent 23 Skidoo for Best Children's Album in 2016. Earlier this year, he had four songs placed on Oprah's documentary, The Legacy of Black Wall Street. I brought Derek on today to talk all things music and art, but first, Derek, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me.
0: It is such a pleasure. I think it's hard to track sometimes when you start getting around a decade or over of friendships to even like know where that pinpoint comes back, but I know it was certainly around your mom's big fat booty band.
1: Oh, Yeah. Definitely so. What, like a decade, a decade ago?
0: Yeah, I think, think it's. Yeah. yeah, I've been in in Asheville thirteen years now, and y'all were definitely one of the first projects that I really found myself working on, and and really enjoyed learning PR through supporting you guys. And mm-hmm. that was when you were just road dogging, so I feel oh, like man. I was busy every day.
1: <laughs> yeah, one hundred and fifty plus days a year on the road. Oh, yeah.
0: PR for that was wild, you know? There yeah. was just emails on emails and interviews after interviews, but it was just really, really cool to see touring, working creative professionals, and that was such a kickstart for my career, so thanks for being my friend. Thank you for uh, supporting me professionally, and yeah, let's let's get into it a little bit.
1: Okay, sounds good.
0: So I kind of love to start with giving people the chance to unpack their history as a creative professional. So I love that you started talking about the fact that you were in church, and by Mm -hmm. the age of 11, you were playing trombone. So unpack what being a creative uh, in your early days really looked like for you.
1: Um, Well, my parents always encouraged me to be as creative as possible. If it was making music or painting, drawing, um, and creative or encouraging, like, creative literature, and nice. so when I was four, I started singing in church, and then got really big into music, and Pierce got me a drum set, and a little Casio piano, uh, <laughs> and then got to middle school, and I was like, okay, now you can join band, and so I got a trombone, and that was it. It was, it was like, I used to play every day. Like, wow. I would sleep with my trombone, and then...
0: <laughs> no uh, way! <laughs>
1: oh, yeah, and my mom got incredibly mad. Because she's like, Do you know how much money we spend on this thing and you're sleeping with it? I would literally (laughs) play it until I passed out. And she's like, You at least have to put it in the case before you go to bed. And then when I started playing guitar, same thing. I'd stay up until like four or five o'clock in the morning and just make music. And um, like, they were all, like, my folks were always proponents of like being as creative as possible. Like, most, most time it was like, Okay, bedtime's at such and such, maybe 10 o'clock but if I was making music, then it was like acceptable to go to bed whenever I wanted to go to bed.
0: That's Uh, amazing to have grown up in an environment like that. I know that being around other creative professionals, you know, it isn't always like that. So how did they feel about the idea of, of being an actual professional around art?
1: Well, it's funny. My dad brought it up before I thought about it. (laughs) Um, I was at Mars Hill and I was doing education and performance and Really wanted to move to New York and teach music in like an inner city school. And my dad's like, that sounds amazing, but I just see you being on tour. He's like, I think that's your path. And he said that to me. And then I went on tour and I'll never forget like my first um, like two week tour was pretty hard on me. Just coming from like college background to being on the road. And I called my dad and I was crying and he and my stepmom had like a coming to Jesus moment with me. And they were like, you're going to go back on tour. Um, yeah. we spent a lot of money on college, <laughs> like, go, go chase your dream. You're going to have some bumps and bruises. So I've always been, uh, super supportive when it comes to being creative.
0: Wow. I've got major goosebumps just realizing how amazing that's been for you. And, you know, my parents didn't fully understand the creative world, especially like the arts economics world, right. And mm-hmm. the workforce and supporting, you know, creatives in their career. That's been a little difficult for my parents to understand but they have always wanted me to pursue my dreams. And so I really relate to that concept of having your family really encouraging you. And as you and I know, a creative lifestyle has its pitfalls too. It has its moments of fear and overwhelm and stress and, and those moments you got to break down. So it's so powerful that they're
1: there for you in that way. Yeah. They definitely um, have been like the cornerstone Mm -hmm. of uh, me being an artist and, and being okay with it. Like, it's interesting as an artist people see you as i wouldn't say subhuman but they don't see it as a real profession yeah. think, oh, it's a fantasy
0: career yeah that's what they do yeah. a lot of times
1: and it's like oh well you know doctors spend eight years of their life um studying to become doctors and that's fine and dandy but artists spend their entire lives studying mm-hmm. to become a creative soul um and like to have some people have people in your lives in your life that um help to help you to see that, um, is definitely a nice thing to have. Well, to be
0: brave enough to take your soul, put it on a plate and put a price on that, right? (laughs) Like that's the extra part about this creative professional lifestyle that people don't understand is you have to dig deep to even be willing to put your art out there, but to be able to financially and viably sustainably successfully manage that is a whole other conversation. So I'm just really curious because mm-hmm. I know you went to school for a performance and music, music education. What was the conversation in your schooling and programming around business and what it meant to be a creative professional and how to survive in that way?
1: That's funny that <laughs> uh, you asked that because there was no conversation about music business. Yeah. And, um, after touring for a couple of years, I went back to Morris Hill and, I spoke with one of the professors out there. Uh, He's like one of my favorite professors and probably gave me one of the best um, jewels of music that I could have ever received from anybody. And is like, um, what do we need to teach here? And I was like, music business.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It's like understanding contracts, understanding point systems, understanding all of these things, like where your money actually goes. Um, If you start with $1,000, you're probably going to end up with 10 because it gets broke, the pie gets broken up so many ways between booking agents and management and merch and travel and like lodging and just small things like that. And so that was one of the things I took back to them was like, please teach a music business course. It doesn't matter if you're a teacher or if you're a touring musician or if you're a studio musician, you need to be able to work through contracts. Yeah. Um,
0: And have some basic knowledge from business, you know? I mean, one of the things I've been working on with my new program that's out and launched and is teaching business fundamentals is the concept of cash flow, which is kind of what you were talking about, right? mm -hmm. You might have X amount of money and you might get 50% of that contract up front, which feels great. You're like, man, we got 500 bucks, we got a $1,000, whatever it is, but what are your bills right then? Where's the money having to go? And making sure that you can afford the bills when they're needing to be due is a really um, complex and important thing for artists and creative professionals to understand because that's the make or break difference, right? It's, oh gosh, can I pay my bills this month right now so that next month I can be successful writing new music or getting out there or whatever it looks like.
1: Oh yeah, And, and it also comes down to, as an independent artist, Being able to budget your own finances outside of your business.
0: Mm, mm, Um, mm, Budget, budget, I love you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like every, at least musician knows that if you're a touring musician, you know that December is going to be slow. Mm -hmm. Like you're going to have maybe one week of of shows beginning of December, uh, New Year's, you're going to play New Year's. And then January, February, you have nothing coming in. And so you have to balance your year to offset those couple of months where there, there's not going to be tour income coming in or there's not going to be like well, the same I type of show income. Well, I imagine for
0: you in. too, Derek, um, That's part of why you chose to diversify your revenue streams, right? You didn't oh, yeah. decide to just be a touring musician as much as you love that. I mean, seeing you on stage, it's so clear that that's a part of your heart and you're never going to want to give that up. But yeah, like you said, there's other times and other months. So what are some of the other things you found yourself stumbling into outside of playing trombone and getting on stage and rocking out?
1: <laughs> well, I currently manage a corporate and wedding band called Emerald Empire Band. Um, mm-hmm. And I take care of the Western North Carolina, Eastern Tennessee, Southern Virginia, and some of Northern uh, Georgia and South Carolina. And so I'm booking roughly 100 to 110 weddings a year in which i send bands out for that um i also do a lot of like graphic design work for people in addition to a little bit of music production video production uh whatever i can get my hands on like i like to stay creative and those things definitely supplement my income when we can't tour
0: and it's so fun when you really kind of unpack these concepts around what creative professional lives are because if you think about it wedding band and that orchestration is probably a lot of more database and online emails mm-hmm. and you know things like that and you know studio performance and and creating music it's a whole different type of you so you're really putting together so many different unique parts of your day and that's one of the things that i love about being creative is I don't want to have to do nine to five, something exactly the same every day, every moment. And yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of excitement. if, if you can really figure out what those specific revenue streams are, um, I would love to talk a little bit more about this wedding band. Uh, I think okay. that's really fun. Tell me a little bit more about how that works and how people can get involved. And that's something that they're interested in.
1: So we um, operate a little bit different, differently than most wedding bands. We have a, a pool of like vetted musicians. Um, I'm not sure if I can say this or not, but like, I mean, right now we have members of the Fritz, members of your mama's big That Pretty band, Empire Strikes Press, Like,
0: yeah, they're, they're the huge, echelon of players who've been doing yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For and sure. like,
1: for instance, like our Atlanta chapter, like, has members of Arrested Development and people from Derek Trucks and or Susan Zespi's band mm-hmm. um, also perform weddings. And it's a way for for touring musicians to, to make some extra income. Um, let's say you go out on the road for a month and you come back with a little bit of money and you're like, man, I really could use like a good payday to go make some more music. Um, then we put together bands and we send them out for weddings. And so like this past weekend, I had three weddings go out. Um, wow. October, I'll have eight weddings go out on a single day. Wow. Uh, That's yeah. a lot
0: of dispatching. Do you also play in the band sometimes oh, yeah. too? Cool. That's yep. <laughs> i was imagining you having to answer phone calls and making sure musicians are there while trying to trombo
1: <laughs> oh yeah it's funny my boss um is like the head of the atlanta chapter and he plays with like jill scott and jj Garay mofro and awesome. does a whole bunch of session work and so like we all like everyone that works in the company also performs in the company that's really um, cool yeah
0: and that keeps it for the creatives by the creatives and it helps mm-hmm. you really understand how to keep the money flow working, too. I mean, one of the things you and I are really aware about in the creative industries is there are a lot of middlemen that are taking pie chunks that don't necessarily always need to be there. Now, that requires a lot of reinventing some of these systems and infrastructure, so it's not like every creative has the possibility of disruption, but it is important to understand what that looks like and how to really take the responsibility of your own career into your own hands, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really nice, and it, it definitely like of all things. Um, I've been with the company for three years now, seeing the the disruption, and seeing like some people be upset about how we do it, and it's like, but this is a great thing for the artist. Mm-hmm. Um, it is is really cool thing for artists. Um, some of my my closest friends are able to like have really nice lifestyles, like good living, right? Doing this and touring, right? Um, And it affords some people just the ability to, like, set some money aside to go record an album. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: And again, having that autonomy as an artist is something that for at least our existence, right? I mean, for the last several hundred thousands of years we have kind of needed this more patron support or this Mm -hmm. you know industry that has these producers and and that is not the thing right now like that is such a disruption across the board and so what i always say is if the model is working why why are we going to break it why are we going to like try again but if it's not working and a lot like we said a lot of these creative systems and infrastructures are just not working for creative Mm -hmm. so I love seeing the disruption. And that's really cool that it's something as simple as a concept as a wedding band can really give you a lot of autonomy and creativity in that.
1: Yeah. I, I love it. Nowadays, the model has changed so much that you have to, to figure out a new route. Yeah. Um, like for <laughs> me is like, okay, cool. I'm going to, I don't know, play a show. So I'll design my own poster. Like, right saves me money and keeps me creative or i'll put together a music video um uh, just because i love doing that and it, it saves money and like i can produce the same product um, and,
0: and it gets you closer to being able to charge for those things too right you being able to right experience now. it in your own world got you to the place that now you're getting paid to do show posters and things like that for their people correct I love it. Okay, so we have to spend a little bit of time talking about Oprah's documentary and how okay. that experience happened and what that process was like for you. That's got to be amazing.
1: It was incredibly random. <laughs> <laughs> like, Art life. <laughs> yeah, I, I um, write a lot of music. I actually probably have over 500 songs in the can right now. It's amazing. Um, and so I was on vacation with Ben Hubby and they would hired him to do a lot of the music, um, through Shauna. Um, she's like the, the head honcho over the music department or music. And so he was like, I need four songs that fit this description. And I was like, cool. I have, you know, a handful of songs that are probably going to work for this. And so I sent them to them, they were like, Oh, we love this. Um, like here's a contract, here's everything. Um, and then next thing you know, I was watching it and I'm like, oh, wow, that's my music on this <laughs> documentary. <laughs> it was really cool. And they actually used like a minute and 15 seconds, which is pretty long placement. But it um, is. Yeah.
0: And it's which amazing is- because I was actually able to use that too. So, I mean, I love the fact that someone like you has Oprah being able to use your songs to represent her work. And then me, who's just starting launching this new business foundations course for creatives, and you mm-hmm. have that resource for me to be able to use too, and and that's yeah. such a opportunity for all of us to realize how close we are to each other, and that there isn't some fantasy land that Oprah is sitting up in her high honcho, not able to connect anyone, not able to generate funding for creatives. You know, it's just it's yeah. an amazing thing to realize.
1: Yeah, it's a uh, this kiln is is incredibly. Like, it's a great place to be because you never know when, like, your next, the next thing is going to happen. Like, for instance, like, earlier in my career, I had the opportunity to play with Woody Wood on CMT opening for Sarah Evans, which was super random. Mm -hmm. But just from, like, talking with other people and performing and sharing space, creating space with others, it opened the opportunity for something that I'd never imagined for myself. Um,
0: And I, I would say, and correct me if I'm wrong, but... From my observation of how you have been able to find these opportunities is you really use the network model. You physically go out and show up to shows that you aren't performing at. You go to events that are for professional creatives. You mm-hmm. you know, that's really seems like the model that you've really taken is just continue to put yourself out there and the right opportunities are going to come your way. Is that accurate? Yeah,
1: that is true. And the other side of it is like, a lot is just connecting other people. It may not be for you. Just like helping the community along. Like um, I, I truly feel like Asheville has the potential to be a huge music town, And so sometimes you have to say, hey, you do this great. and You do this great. So you guys should talk.
0: Yeah. I think that is such a perfect wrap up and conclusion. And I think that's probably part of why you and I love each other. We're such the <laughs> networkers and we're such the, oh, hey, you and you get together. So <laughs> speaking of that. Can you maybe let people know how they can learn more about you, your music, anything you're interested in sending them to website wise right now?
1: Uh, Sure. Um, I'm currently uh, about to play a show with uh, your mama's big fat booty band. So you can go to bootyband.com. I also have evil note lab. You can find us at evil note lab on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We also have a Afro Cuban, Brazilian, Ethiopian, Electronic band called Electrolust, and you can find us at Electrolust on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. Um, and if you just need to find me, you can find me at Derek Johnson on Facebook and Fender Seven Zero One Zero on Instagram.
0: I love it, dude. Uh, we're gonna talk. I'm gonna get you a tiny little one page website so you can have everyone go there and get all of your links
1: because you got too much <laughs>
0: yeah. stuff always going on. We'll make That's it
1: happen. Band in this town. <laughs> <Not everything. laughs> I feel
0: <like> a <laughs> yes, you really do. Well, Derek, thanks again so much for being here today.
1: Yeah, thank you so much.
0: Yeah, it was my pleasure. And as always, this is the Joanna Patrice Haggerty Show, where we share tips and tools of our community's most innovative entrepreneurs, artists, and creative business owners. Thank you so much for tuning in, and please connect by visiting bizradioashville.com or on Instagram at biz. I'd love to hear your show suggestions or any questions you might have. And as always, stay creative.
1: Thank you for listening. If you liked what you just heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And be sure to visit bizradio.us to find hundreds of other engaging conversations, local events, and more.